0: If you came looking for Chad this morning, you came to the right place, but you came at the wrong time. Uh, Chad's uh, a little far away right now on mission, and he'll be back soon. And this morning, we're going to worship God together anyway, uh, where two or three are gathered. Who's there in the midst of them? Jesus is there, so that's why we've come this morning. Here at East J. Baptist Church, we like to say we've been captivated by Christ. We've seen his beauty and his goodness and his glory, and it's absolutely captivated us. We've seen who Jesus is, and we can't unsee that. We can't unring that bell, and we know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and we're going to worship him together. So this morning, if you would, please stand. Joe and the group are going to start our our worship time together. Let's raise our voices and sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, you are holy. As the angels have been singing from before time began, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Father, we come here this morning as your children and we echo the angels and we say, holy are you. So Father, we thank you for your spirit being here with us. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us as your children To cry out to you that you are holy and at the same time you are our Abba, you are our Father. So Father, we come this morning with all sorts of needs, all sorts of concerns, all sorts of cares. For some folks, all sorts of fears. And Lord, we do what you told us to do in your word. We cast all of our care on you because you care for us. So, Father, in all the needs that are present here this morning, all the needs that are there for folks that are watching from their homes or their cars on live stream, we simply give our cares to you because we know that you love us and that we can trust you. Father, be glorified in all that we do today. We pray especially this morning, Father, for our pastor, for Chad, who's miles away serving in another field right now. And we thank you for the opportunity you've given him. We thank you for the ministry he's been able to do, the ministry he's been able to see. And, Father, we ask that you give him and Hannah safety as they continue wrapping up their trip and coming home. So, Father, all that we do today, all that we say today, may you be glorified. Change our hearts. Open our ears Help us to hear the truth of your word and then respond appropriately to it. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to sing one more song and then... Uh, do we have Children's Church today? Anybody know? Yes, no? Yes, I got a, net. a yes. So as soon as the next song is finished, kids, you can be dismissed to Children's Church and the rest of us will stay in here. Uh. Got some good news and bad news. Good news is I went on the YouTube channel. I looked all the way back for almost a year, and Chad's longest sermon was 57 minutes. I'm in good shape. I guess the bad news for you is my lunch reservation's not to one o'clock, so you can uh, do the math. Over 30 years ago, the Christian group, musical group Truth, put out a song, and I'm not going to sing it for you, that's even better news. But the lyrics say, John has a new way of looking at life. He's tired of his job, of his kids, of his wife. He says the secret of his success is in losing and finding himself. So now he's somebody to somebody else. He says we've risen to a new age of truth and he calls it a a spiritual godly pursuit. But I say, what if we've fallen to the bottom of a well? Thinking we're reaching for the top of the mountain. What if we're knocking on the gates of hell but thinking we're heaven bound? What if we spend our lives thinking about ourselves when we should be thinking of each other? What if we reach up just to touch the ground and find out that we're living life upside down? You know, we've got a program for saving the earth, but unborn children are denied the right to birth. One baby's blessed, another's cursed, Have we made this world a better place now that the life of a tree comes first? We say we've risen to this new age of light, but you're telling me that what's used to be wrong is now right. But I say, what if we've fallen to the bottom of a well? Thinking we've risen to the top of the mountain, what if we are knocking on the gates of hell and thinking that we're heaven bound? What if we've spent our lives thinking of ourselves when we should have been thinking of each other? What if we reach up and touch the ground and find we're living upside down? Imagine a world in which the authorities have the power to tell you you can't go to church anymore. Imagine living in a world in which you no longer have a right to, to defend yourself or your family. Imagine living in a world in which government and social authorities have the power to tell you whether you can work and earn a living or not. Imagine living in a world Wherefore, saying the wrong thing or hanging out with the wrong people, you can be ostracized, cut off, and canceled. Now, I'm not talking about today. I haven't, I haven't been reading the headlines. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about Acts chapter 2. I'm talking the very day of Pentecost. We're going to look this morning at a ragtag bunch of people. You wouldn't hire them to cut your yard. And Jesus Christ himself picked them to be the foundation of the church. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. And in a minute, we're going to read verses 41 through 47, but we need just a little bit of background so you can put this in the proper context. And we'll start with the crucifixion. That's a good day we can all figure out. We got Good Friday, the crucifixion. Three days later, Jesus is gloriously risen from the dead. And th- thank you. Who said that? You just keep it up, okay? Freddie, you need to get in that on, on some of that too, okay? Jesus is risen from the dead, and the whole world freaks out. Nothing like this has ever happened. The Romans are losing their minds. The Jewish Sanhedrin is about to go absolutely nuts. And all these crazy people are running around going, Hey, you know that Jesus guy? Yep, raised from the dead, tomb empty. And the whole world is absolutely losing it. The disciples, Mary, Jesus' family, yeah this is the same family that tried to have him put in the loony bin previously, same bunch, they're all gathered together and Jesus appears to them 40 days after his resurrection and he's standing there on the Mount of Olives and he's talking to them and he says look it's okay but I'm leaving they still didn't get it. Why you mean you're leaving? I'm leaving. I'm going back to I'm going back to my father. I got work to do. You guys stay here and you be my witnesses. But before that happens, go into Jerusalem, find a hotel room, hole up, and just stay put until the Holy Spirit shows up. And they go, "What's the Holy Spirit?" And his response is, "You'll know it." So for ten days, you have these people hiding in a big room and and scripture tells us there are 120 of them they're all together they're in one place and all of a sudden the holy spirit falls on them and then it really gets crazy they start proclaiming the gospel in languages that they never learned and all these people hear this noise and they see these people and they're like what is going on and peter stands up and he starts preaching and you think Peter was rough as a cob when he was a fisherman, you, you read what he says to these folks. Hey, you bunch of murderers and thieves and killers, I got good news for you. Boy, there's a way to get a crowd going. And Peter just lets it rip. And at the end of that time, they have a little altar call. 3,000. 3,000 people respond in faith to the call that Peter gives. 3,000 people. And this is what the scripture says, starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day to day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together." with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. Anybody want some of that? Any reason why we can't have that? Okay, well, let's let's work through that there for a minute because there's something different. Ain't 3,000 people here. Who were these people? I mean, who were these crazy people? I mean, when you look at what Scripture says over just one page back, these people were Parthians and Medes and Elamites residents of Mesopotamia Judea, Cappadocia Pontus, Asia, Phrygia Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes Cretans and Arabs all these people heard the gospel and they responded you want to know how big a space that is? that's everywhere from Iran and Iraq starting on the east going all the way across Jerusalem all the way across the Mediterranean to Italy it was as far north as Russia and as far south as Ethiopia in a day the church was born and you know what they were every color under the rainbow they were brown and yellow and black and white They were every color God ever imagined, and they were all in this new thing called the church. They had different politics. They had different forms of government. They had different cultures. They ate different food, and all of a sudden, they're all together. But there wasn't anything special about it. They were just like we are. They got up in the morning and they were grouchy. They needed a cup of coffee. Their kids drove them crazy. They had trouble at work with their boss. There was nothing at all special about these people. Except for one thing. And that one thing is found in verse 41. Those who had received the word. They had received the word of the living God. And they took it to be the word of the living God. It was not optional. It was not in addition to. It was the word of God. If you look down in verse 46, I think it is. Hang on, I missed it. Nope, verse 44. It says, all those who had what? What's the next word? Believed. These people, here was their one criteria, their one qualification for being the church. They had received the Word of God, and they had believed it. Now, how many of us have received the Word of God? Yeah, you're receiving it right now. Most of you have got a copy sitting in your lap or on your iPhone or on your iPad. For those you don't know, Chad is in a rather remote part of the world right now. He can't communicate with us very well, but every now and then his text works. And he sent me a text the other night and said that he'd just been in a village where the people had the New Testament. Guess how long they'd had it? 20 years. This copy is more than 20 years old. I've had it more than 20 years. They are just now getting the gospel in their own language. And you know what happens when they hear it? (laughs) They believe it. So here's my question. Why don't I believe it? Coming up next March, I'll have been a Christian for 50 years. woo hoo big deal. What have I done with it? I got the Word. I know what it says. I can go online and read it in Greek if I want to and have somebody translate it for me so that I can understand it better. I can buy every kind of Christian book the world has ever seen to explain to me what this book means. I know what it means, but do I believe it? That's what separated these people in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2 from us. They believed it. No, in James, there's a passage I don't like very much. And you guys got, you got your favorite parts of the Bible, right? Everybody got your favorites? Okay, somebody tell me, what's one of your favorites? Come on, what's a favorite? Ephesians, Ephesians, you like Ephesians? Yeah, you would, Freddie. Okay, anybody else got a favorite? Romans, Romans is awesome. John 3, 16. Man, we like that stuff. Let me read you one I don't like. James 1, chapter, verse 22. Prove yourselves to be doers of the words and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man that looks at his natural face in a mirror, and once he's looked away, once he's looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in all that he does. I hear too much, I read too much, and I do too little. I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. If I did half of what the Word tells me to do, that I know to do, this building would be blown out. We wouldn't have room for all the bodies if just I did half of what I know to do. We have become complacent, we have become lazy, we have been soft. We've become happy with us in Zion, me four and no more. The rest of the world, it's going to hell in a handbasket anyway. Let it go. And if that's our heart attitude, there's a verse in Corinthians that I like even worse, less than the one in James. It says, examine yourself, test yourself to see if you're actually in the faith. Oh, Dave, you just started meddling. Yeah, I sure did. Because I don't care if you believe people can lose their salvation or if you believe people uh, that never, ever act like Christians were never Christians to start with. I don't care. At the end of the day, they're both going to hell. I'm concerned that the church in America has become so complacent that we are filling the pews with people that want their ears scratched, but they don't want to live what Jesus requires. Well, Dave, that's awful harsh. Get over it. These aren't my words. These are the words of God. How did did these people act? Maybe that's the difference. We're clearly established they're no different than the rest of us. I mean, think about it. A bunch of fishermen. These weren't exactly the elite of society. A bunch of common, ordinary, hard-working folks trying to take care of their families and scratch out a living day by day. And that's who Jesus called. That's who these people were. So if they weren't special other than receiving and believing the Word, maybe what they did was the difference. And I'll submit to you for your consideration that that is exactly the issue. It's what these people did that let them turn the world upside down. When Paul got to Philippi and started preaching the gospel, the town leaders got together and said, hey, arrest this guy. He's destroying our business. He's blaspheming against Diana, I mean, the goddess Diana. We're going to go out of business. The tourists won't buy our little trinkets anymore. Stop them. They've turned the world upside down it's pretty strong stuff look at what they did i'm but i I can't i can't i don't know how to communicate this strongly enough these people were ordinary people just like you just like me i don't know if there was a lawyer in the bunch or not I doubt it. I know too many lawyers, you know. I know there was a tax collector in the bunch, a turncoat against his own people. I know he was there. I know there was a domestic terrorist in the bunch. Simon the Zealot was there, and he wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. They didn't have a trained clergy. They didn't have any seminaries. They didn't have a $4 million building with air conditioning and a bunch of soft pews. They didn't have any of the things that we think are important. They didn't have radio. They didn't have TV. They didn't have internet. They didn't even have a printed Bible. So how do you go from that and turn the world upside down? Four things. You're going to get sick of hearing me say these four things, but I'm going to say them over and over and over. The passage tells us that there were four things that these people did that made all the difference. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to commit to these four things. You should commit to these four things if you want the outcome that these people experienced we should all commit to these four things it's in verse 42 they were continually devoting themselves to one, the apostles teaching the word of God two, to fellowship they were continually devoting themselves to the family of God Three, to the breaking of bread. They were continually devoted to a life that was nothing but God. And four, they were together in prayers. They were continually devoted to the worship of God. Continually devoted to the Word of God, to the family of God, to the life of God, and to the worship of God. That's it. No program no manual 47b3 from the southern baptist convention on how to build a medium-sized church in a rural congregation having an average annual income of forty two point seven thousand dollars per year hey i've read that book i know where it is you can order it they didn't have any of that stuff it says that they were continually devoted In verse 46, it says that they were doing things day by day. Notice it did not say Sunday by Sunday. Any of you ever tried to lose any weight? Don't raise your hand, please. Don't raise your hand. There, There are so many crazes out there, one of them intermittent fasting. You know, you only eat for so many, during a, an eight-hour period during the day, and the other 16 hours you, you don't eat. And then there are other kinds of fasting where you fast for two or three days, and then you eat, and then you fast for two or three days. That's the snake diet. Yeah. Anybody here plan on eating lunch today? I am. So everybody eat, eat a nice lunch? I got reservations at Emily's. I know I'm going to have a good lunch. Okay. And then make sure you don't eat anything until the same time next week. Everybody good with that? Everybody want to sign up for that? No. How many times in my life have I done that spiritually? How many times in my life have I come on a Sunday morning and I've gone to Sunday school or I've come to the service and then when it's all over I go home and I get so tied up in the rest of my life. And the insanity that is living in the world that we live in that I don't feed again until the next Sunday. Is there any other reason for me being weak? For my my gospel witness being ineffective? If I'm emaciated spiritually, I don't have anything to give anyone. When a coworker comes with a great concern or a great problem, if I'm not full of the Word of God, I don't have anything to give them. And here this ragtag bunch of people, most of whom probably couldn't read if they'd had it to read to start with, they were day by day continually devoted to what the apostles were teaching them, to the Word of God. Any of you ever had a time in your life when it was God's word or nothing? Ever had one of those? If you haven't, I feel sorry for you. Let me tell you about mine. Valedictorian in my class. First chair All-State clarinet player. I was the bomb. I had it going on. But I had joined the National Guard when I was 17. I was going to be in an Army band, which was cool. So I hauled off for Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Anybody here ever served at Fort Jackson, South Carolina? Armpit of the universe. They took all the red clay from South Georgia and imported it to Fort Jackson just to make it nasty. And this was in, the Ju- this was in July. It was hot. I mean, it was hot. And I roll into Fort Jackson, South Carolina, all full of myself. I got it going on. I know how this works. I can do this. My brother and I joined together. We're going to be, we were on the buddy system. Yeah. We're going to go through boot camp together. And let me tell you, my older brother and I, we can fight like cats and dogs, let me tell you. There have been some epic battles that almost ended up in the emergency room, but we're just brothers. He's, he's two years and ten months older than I am, and he's a shrimp. He's only five foot five, okay? So, we get off the bus in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and they're calling names, you know, Messer, Messer, Messer. I go that way, my brother goes that way, and I'm like, stop. We signed up on the buddy plan. Now, my brother and I can fight, but you don't want to get on either one of us With the other one there. We've actually been fighting on occasion and somebody step in and try to take one of our sides. Yeah, that never worked out because then they got attacked. It was always funny. So my brother goes this way. I go that way. I find myself 17 years old, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, all alone. I know one person that ends up in my particular barracks with a hundred people in it and the lights go out. And I'm just standing there going, oops. I wasn't ready for this. Um, what should I do? Oh, yeah, I remember. Um, hey, uh, Jesus, excuse me. And it's like the ceiling was brass. And I start digging around in my little dinky suitcase that I'd brought. Guess what wasn't there? I didn't bring a Bible I'm standing there in the middle of this God forsaken place I don't know anybody I'm all alone I am scared to death and all that hot shot 17 year old brash arrogant I can conquer the world all went away and I'm standing there going oops and I looked over and my friend Rick is sitting on this bed big tough Rick 6'1, six, 6'2, one, six, 185 pounds, not an ounce of fat on his sorry, awful body that I hated. You know, he's he's sitting there and he's got this, and he, and he's shaking like this. And he's holding, what's he holding, Jim? Jim, what's he holding? He's holding a Gideon New Testament. And he's just shaking. And I went over and sat down on the bed and I said, What are you doing, man? He said, uh, reading. I said, Cool can I borrow that when you're done with it? He said, sure. 10 o'clock, he gets up, lights are already out. He throws the, that New Testament over to me. He goes to bed. I stayed up all night long, sitting on a sink in the bathroom, reading the New Testament. And let me tell you, brother, you can read the entire New Testament in a night. Don't let it, don't ever be fooled by it. So for the rest of that week while we improcessed, I borrowed his New Testament when I could. The first Sunday we got to go to chapel and sitting right there in the front of the chapel uh, on a table with this great big box. And what was it filled with, Jim? Gideon Bibles. Gideon Bibles. And they were going faster than hotcakes, man. So I grabbed a Gideon New Testament in a beautiful army green camouflage, by the way, stuck it in my pip- pocket. and it kept me alive for the next 12 weeks. If there was a moment to spare when I wasn't doing push-ups, I was reading. There were times when I had to do push-ups because I was reading. By the way, if you ever need to learn how to count to 10, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have done 10,000 push-ups, quoting that verse. But I was such an arrogant, hot-headed little 17-year-old brat that I thought I could handle anything the world threw at me without the Bible. You want to know how these people lived? They were devoted to the Word of God. It was their life. It kept them breathing Maybe we don't suffer enough. Maybe we're not persecuted enough. Maybe we need to start paying a price until we reach the point that we empty ourselves of ourselves and we fill ourselves with the Word of God. Michael said it brilliantly a couple of weeks ago. It is not enough that I'm in this book. I can be on a daily reading plan and it could be like reading Reader's Digest. I can get the little app on my phone that pops me up two new chapters out of the Bible to read every week, every day. And if I do that as some little ritual because I promised somebody that I would do it, I get absolutely nothing from it. Michael's more important question two weeks ago was not, are you in the Word as... as brilliantly necessary as that is the real question is is the word in you that's the issue and for these people they not only received the word but they believed it well what else did they do says they were continually devoted to fellowship and i'm going to check see oh i'm good They were continually devoted to fellowship. It's a really cool Greek word. Most of us have probably heard it at some point. Koinonia. Koinonia. Oh, doesn't that sound spiritual? Koinonia. First time most of us heard that was coming out of the Jesus movement back in the late 60s and early 70s. Koinonia. We had one girl at the college, Terry and I went to, that... I honestly don't remember her name, (laughs) but I remember her nickname. Everybody called her Koinonia because that's all she ever talked about. Koinonia is more than this vague feel-good idea of fellowship. Koinonia means that we are so intricately involved in one another's lives That when you hurt, I hurt. When you rejoice, I rejoice. When you have a need, I have a need. Koinonia is not some feel-good word that we throw around in Christian circles to make us think like we're part of some little clique. Koinonia means that I can't live without you. Any of you guys ever been in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force, the Marines? Come on, where are my vets? Okay, I got vets. There's something about vets and the units that they served with, especially those that have been in combat together. I was never in combat, thank God. I was a clarinet player, okay? I was never in combat. Closest I got to combat was qualifying on the rifle range every year, and if we didn't have enough ammo for that, we'd just punch the targets with a 22 caliber pencil, Okay? I mean, come on. But people have been in combat together. Have you ever watched the movie Band of Brothers? Yes. And it's a good movie, too. When you watch Band of Brothers, you start understanding what koinonia is all about. Koinonia means you get shot at together. And if the other guy doesn't get your back, you're dead meat. Koinonia means that you can't survive without that person being there. Scripture tells us that the reason that we have pastors, the reasons we have teachers, the reasons we have prophets and evangelists and apostles among us, the reason that we have those is not for our entertainment. It's so that they will equip us. And then what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to, I love the way this is phrased, every joint Supply what the other one needs. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. But if I refuse to give to you the gift that God has given to me, not only do I hurt myself, but I hurt you. But if we're not in true koinonia, koinonia, If we don't have that degree of fellowship to where we're willing to strip the mask off and say look i'm hurting i need some help i can't do this by myself as long as we run around with our normal american lives putting our money in our bank account and buying our stuff for what we want to do with our time as long as we do that we will never Ever have that kind of intimacy in the body of Christ? Remember the TV show Cheers. Now, well, for some of you, you're too young to remember that. But what was the line in the in the, in the theme song from Cheers? Don't you want to go where everybody knows your name? People don't just go to bars to get drunk, although most people go to a bar eventually to get drunk. That's sort of the end goal so that you can forget all the pain that you're in. You're going to where you can sit with a bunch of people who are just as screwed up as you are, and they don't care. Cornania means that we hurt together. That we rejoice together. That we have to have what the other person brings to our faith. We've got to have that. Why did these people turn the world upside down? They were continually devoted to the Word. Okay, We're, we're going to practice, okay? These people were continually devoted to the Word... And then they were continually devoted to the family of God. Third thing. This is my favorite. They were continually devoted to the breaking of bread. I like that part. Except I've been on a low-carb diet for way too long. I don't get to break a lot of actual bread anymore. Bread is now like dessert. The breaking of bread. Have you ever tried to be mad at somebody you were eating dinner with? It's hard to do. I actually settled a lawsuit once with an apple pie. I had two old boys owned land together out in Oklahoma. There was a fence line right between them. They had been neighbors for 40 years. Everybody knew where that fence line was. Nobody ever argued about it. And one day one of them did something and pushed a post over and the fence got shifted and they got all mad at each other and the lawsuit started flying and you know $10,000 later they're still yelling and screaming at each other. So I went out to my client's house Sat there in his kitchen and said, What are we going to do about this? And he was just going, I mean, just in a rant. And his wife is home and she's baking apple pie. And man, it smelled good. I said, Jerry, John over there ever had one of Mary's apple pies? I'm like, oh yeah. I said, Don't you want to get this resolved? Yeah well, go over there and knock on the door and talk to him. You guys just figure it out. You're wasting your money over this stupid lawsuit. He said, well, he won't talk to me. I said, how do you know? He said, well, I actually went over there and knocked on the door one day, and he opened the door up and just slammed it in my face. I said, okay. I said, I bet you 100 bucks. You take that pie, you go over to his house, you knock on the front door, and when he opens the front door, you don't say anything, you just do this. He said, you're nuts. I said, I am It's a $100 pie. You want it? He got the pie. He got in the truck. He drove around the driveway. He knocked on the neighbor's door. The guy comes to the door, opens the door, goes, (gasps) and he stuck the pie up there. And the guy looks at it and goes, is that Mary's? He said, yep. He said, come on in. I got a pot of coffee on. And they sat down. They worked it out. You know why? Because when you're eating with somebody, when you've got that kind of close intimacy with one another, all the garbage goes away. You can't fake it when you're eating with people. Because eating is a fundamental basic necessity of our lives. We have to eat to stay alive. And in the Middle Eastern culture of Jesus' day, and still much to this day, it's breaking of bread. Bread is the staple of everything. If you got a glass of water and a loaf of bread, you got a meal. Since the children of Israel were taken away into captivity in Babylon, they developed this synagogue system. And you had the rise of the rabbis and the, those that would teach the Old Testament to their little congregation there because the Jews didn't have a temple anymore, they were scattered all over creation. In the Babylonian Empire and one of the things they did was they they said well we've got to come up with some prayers everybody we want everybody to pray the same thing That's a good idea make sure everybody's praying right so one of the first prayers they came up it was the the prayer that starts every Sabbath meal and starts just about every meal that any Jew takes and it's a prayer for the breaking of the bread they start the meal with breaking of bread. Baruch Adonai. Blessed are you, Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who has given to us and has caused the earth to produce for us bread from the earth. They start Every meal that way. You want to have some fun? Go back and read the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're walking with Jesus. This is after the resurrection. They're walking with Jesus. They don't even know it. He's got his spidey suit on or something. They don't even know who it is. And they go in to sit down to eat. And Jesus takes the bread. Guess what Jesus says? And he did what to the bread? He blessed it. You know what he said? Baruch Adonai. And he starts the blessing over the bread. And as he breaks it, what does scripture say happened? Their eyes were opened. In the breaking of the bread, they immediately recognized Jesus. That doesn't happen if you're not breaking I believe that there's something absolutely metaphysical, supernatural, spiritual from God Himself that happens when believers eat together. Now, as Baptists, we ought to have that down, okay? But you know what? It's more than having biscuits and gravy on a Sunday morning. If our fellowship over breaking of bread together is limited to potluck dinners and homecoming and the men's breakfast once a quarter. If that's what we consider fellowship over the breaking of bread, we're in real trouble. God did not plan for us to live in these little silos. That's not His plan. These people understood it. Fourth thing. Okay, we're gonna do one, two, three again. Continually devoted to the Word, two, to the family of God, three, to the life of God, and fourth, to prayer and the worship of God. I will tell you right now why I'm I am not more effective as a Christian. I don't pray. Oh, of course I pray some. I don't pray enough. Prayer is often the second thought when the first thought is, how am I going to fix this? What can I do about this? What resources do I have to solve this problem? That's my first thought, and my second part is, oh yeah, and by the way, God, would you please bless my plan? And when we live like that, we take the most powerful being in the universe and we put him on the side and we say, I got this. And when I live my life that way is when I have to deal with my own fears. That's when I have to deal with my own anxieties. That's when I have to deal with my own shortcomings That's when I have to deal with my own sins when I decide I got this. These people were continually devoted day by day to prayer and to the worship of God. And in 20 years, they turned the world upside down. So, What happened as a result of that? I mean, i got to read the text. The text says they were devoted to the Word, they were devoted, devoted to the family of God in true koinonia, they were devoted to breaking bread together and sharing their lives together, and they were devoted to prayer and worship. What happened as a result? Well, the good news is we don't have to guess. It's right there in the text for us. And it starts in verse 43. I got to tell you, verses 43 through 47, I own some of this. But to get it, I got to do the four things first. But look at what happened because these people received and believed the Word and then they were devoted to the Word, to the family of God, to living together as the family of God, and to worship and prayer. Look look what it says. Verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Anybody worn out? I mean, come on. I am flat slam worn out. Whether it's COVID or the economy or politics or work, I am just slam worn out. Anybody that owns their own business knows they ain't no such thing as time off. Because even when you're taking a vacation, you're worried about the stuff that you ought to be doing. Are you guys just tired? I mean, this is yes, this is no. I mean, I'm tired. There are days I'm just physically worn out. These people, every day, were feeling a sense of awe. They would wake up in the morning and go, I've had a few of those occasions in my life. Man, I would love to have that every day. When they did these four things, what God gave to them was this incredible emotional and mental sense of well-being. They had this sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Oh, Brother Dave, you just stepped on it there. We're Baptists. We don't believe in all that miracle stuff. you don't believe in miracles, why do you pray? I'm not talking some crazy charismatic Pentecostal insanity out there that runs through society from time to time. I'm talking about God. If you don't believe in miracles, why even pray? I went back and looked through my prayer notification contact thing from the church since May 1st. There have been 13 times in the last five weeks when this church body has sent out a prayer request to everybody on the list that says, please pray for so-and-so. They've had a heart attack. They've had a stroke. They just got diagnosed with cancer. They've been in a car wreck. They're having heart trouble. And, and we send these things out. Do we send those things out for our own enjoyment? Do we think that we're just supposed to go, oh, Lord bless so and so. They had a heart attack. No. What are we doing? God, heal them. Folks, we believe in miracles. If we don't, we're in the wrong place. We believe that the sovereign God of the universe cares about you, Freddie. We believe in a God that loves us, that cares for us, and is powerful enough to change the rules of the physical universe, if that's what it takes. Haven't seen many miracles lately. They all had everything in common. That doesn't mean they were communist. They weren't socialists. They didn't sell everything and put it in a big pot. They just didn't treat it like it was their own because it wasn't. We were talking about this in Tim Sunday School this morning. It's not ours. It's God's. We're stewards of it. And if somebody in the family of God needs something and I've got the ability to meet that need and I don't, I need to decide whether I'm in the family of God or not. But you know what? The opposite is also true. If you have a need and you're so proud that you can't tell your brothers and sisters that you have a need, how's anybody supposed to meet it if you don't say, I've got a need? You know how you know they've got the need? You had lunch with them. You've been praying with them. This stuff is not make-believe. This is an actual recorded history of what happened to these people. But they loved each other so much that when somebody needed something, it was there. If I could speak German, I think I'd want to be Amish. You've never seen a hungry person that was Amish, and you never will. You've never seen an Amish person have their barn burned down and it stay there in ruins for three years. Ain't going to happen. They got a little wanky theology, okay? A little bit of, a little strangeness there. But let me tell you, they care for each other. They love each other. And they take care of each other. Their money is not their money if it's needed to take care of someone else. So they began selling their possessions and their property and they, they shared but they only shared as people had need. This was not redistribution of wealth. This was not some Marxist philosophy that said everybody has to be equal. No, this is just simply people that loved each other saying, hey, sorry your car broke down. Here, let me go get you another car. Did I really say that? I saw that happen in a church once. I could give you the name of the church, but I'm not going to. If you really want to know, ask me later. They were trying to raise money to build a new building, and they were having trouble. I mean, they were like having trouble. <laughs> they needed about $600,000, and they had about ten. <laughs> so they went on this capital stewardship campaign. Any of you ever been in one of those? Yeah, we know what those are all about. Or a church bond program? Yeah, we know what those are all about. So that summer, they started a process that said, look, if you've never given to the church before, start. Start with 1%. Put your commitment on this piece of paper that you'll give 1%, and next week you'll increase it to 2% until you can't pay your bills. And we're not going to spend any money. We're going to take all the money, and we're going to put it in the bank account. And if any time in the next three months you need money, You come tell us, and we'll write you a check for whatever you've put in the offering plate. No questions asked. You like that? I like that. One Wednesday night, about six weeks in, came to church. About 60 people there. Now, this this is not about any of our deacons, okay? This was the deacon in that church, okay? They had a deacon who was not a very nice person. He, he, was, he was just sort of curmudgeonly. You know the word? He was just a little harsh, a little angry, a little set in his ways. And he always came in and he always sat on the very back row wearing a pair of overalls. So one day, the pastor, who I knew very well, um, he called me a couple of days after this because he couldn't believe it. But a lady called, a single mom called and says, preacher, I've been trying to do what you said. I've been trying to tithe. And so I'm up to 6%. But the transmission on my car went out. And I know I've only given about $40 so far. But I really need that $40. And the preacher said, okay. We can keep our word. That's fine. I'll have you check tonight. She said, okay. So they get to church. And they're taking prayer requests. And she stands up and she says, Preacher, I talked to you today, and you know, I'm I'm real sorry my transmission broke down. I'm I just don't know what I'm gonna do. And the preacher says, Don't worry. You know, we, we had this money-back guarantee thing, and so here I got your check right here. And he reached his pocket and handed the check. And that old deacon stood up in the back and said, Don't you dare, preacher. And everybody just sort of looked at him and he said, She's trying to do what God told her to do, and we're not going to take that away from her. Come on, boys, pony up. And he reached in the front pocket of his bib overalls. He came out with a wad of $100 bills, and he just starts peeling hundreds off. And before they left that light, they bought that woman a new car. They built a $3 million church building debt-free within 21 months. Revival broke out in that church because they had all things in common if she had not shared that church still wouldn't be built and if that deacon sitting back in the back hadn't reached in and started peeling hundreds off that roll that church still wouldn't be built there is something about the unity of faith that comes about when we share our needs and we share our resources, not out of communism or out of any sort of redistribution of wealth, but because it is God's. And when he tells you to give it, you better give it. You want to crash in your 401k? Let me promise you how to get one. Have God tell you to give something and you not do it. If God tells you to give something and you don't do it, please call me and let me know what stocks you're in. Because I'm getting out. Continually, day by day, they were with one mind in the temple. They shared their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God. And here's the kicker. They were having favor. With all the people. They were having favor with all the people. All the people in the community wanted to be around the Christians. I want some of that. Do we wonder why our evangelism is ineffective? Why would the church, excuse me, why would the world want what we're selling? I don't like this passage of Scripture very much. I just really don't. Because you talk about that James looking in the mirror. (laughs) I don't like looking in this mirror because I don't like what I see. Oh, I like seeing this. Oh, I, I like this church. I, I like this a lot. But when I look in my heart, I don't see it. They, they got some great benefits out of this, but look at the last phrase. The Lord was adding to their number how often? Day by day. Those who were being saved. I don't know. What are we supposed to do about that? I mean, as a church, let's, let's just get right down to the nitty-gritty. Well, let me start here. I am not a legalist. I've been accused of having the slickest grace the world has ever seen. I don't think you can have grace that is gracier than the grace that I believe in. Because I understand the grace that Jesus gave me. So when I'm standing here talking to you, I'm not angry. I'm not mad. There's not a legalistic bone in my body. I'm not trying to put any demands on you or any uh, commandments that you have to follow. I just want us to look at the Word, see what it says, and do what God tells us to do. I can't tell you how to do that. That's between you and God. I can't tell this church as a corporate body how it's supposed to do that. But I can tell you this. If we individually get serious about this, God's going to put things in our hearts that we can't keep to ourselves. And we're going to be getting together and we're going to be talking to our church leadership into Chad and we're going to be going, hey, we got to do something. The time has come for the church to stand up and be the church. I don't know if you guys understand how incredibly blessed you are to have Chad... Kelly, standing in this pulpit every week. And I've told him that to his face. And he blushes all bright red, and that's okay. There are not many churches where you have the Word prepared and served to you week after week after week. Chad just spent a month on some of the hardest things that Jesus ever said. And I can promise you, it wasn't easy for him to stand up here and say it. But we need it. We need to get on our knees every day and thank God for the pastor that he's put in this pulpit for us week after week. I've listened to a lot of preachers in my life. And my wife can tell you I'm the most critical person of preachers that you've ever seen. Chad Kelly is an excellent preacher. But as good as he is, if I stake my soul on his preaching on Sunday mornings, I am dead meat. This world is so difficult. I can't just eat one day a week. I have got to get in this word. That means uh, I have to change my schedule. I have to interrupt my TV and Internet time. I have to turn the TV off and sit quietly in my recliner and read, and not just do it out of some religious, governmental requirement, some legalistic thing that I've thrown on myself. I got news for you. By 1 o'clock when my reservation comes around at Emily's, I'm going to be hungry. Because I didn't eat breakfast this morning. And I can promise you I'm going to be ready to eat. And I'm going to eat. And it's going to be really good. I need to develop that same hunger for this. I've got time to read all the websites I want to read. On my phone, I have an app for free books because I like to read. I drive my wife nuts, but I like to read. And this particular book right here, British Murder Mysteries, 350-plus detective novels and true crime stories in one volume. I am on page 65,185. I don't have an excuse for not reading this book." If we want to be like that church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, we got to start there. The second place is we've got to develop true koinonia. That means I've got to change my schedule because Freddie wants me to come over to his house for dinner. That's a hint, Freddie. Right? I can't just say, oh, man, I've been at work all day long, and I'm tired, and I just want to go home and take a shower and put my pajamas on and sit in the chair and read my British mysteries. That might mean I have to say, hey, I know I'm tired, but let me take a quick shower. I'll be over at the house by 630, and I'll bring some Chick-fil-A. How's that? Right? Is that hard? Do we do that anymore? I don't know. Do you guys do that? Do we do that anymore? Do we call people up and go, "Hey, you want to go grab a burger? Want we'll to run up to Longhorn? Let me swing by Cap- Captain D's and I'll pick something up, and we'll just... Hey, nobody cooks. Nobody cooks anymore unless they want to cook for the fun of it, anyway, right? So we don't have to put all the pressure on the ladies of the church to do all the cooking. That's not fair. But if I want to have the same kind of intimacy and fellowship that the New Testament church had, I've got to change my schedule. I've got to take my comforts off the table. And I've got to continually devote myself to loving you people. And part of that means we're sitting down and we're eating together. We have to do it. And we have to learn to worship and to pray. Folks, the first 30 minutes of the worship service is not a spectator sport. I'm going to say that again. The first 30 minutes of the worship service is not a spectator sport. We are not here to be entertained. We are not here to have our emotions rubbed and made to feel good. We are not here to hear good music, although we hear good music. We are not here to listen to pretty songs, although we hear pretty songs. We are here, and these guys that get up here week after week, they are here for one reason, and it's not for a recording contract. They are up here because they want to use the gifts and the talents they've been given to worship their God and to lead us in worshiping God. And if you say, Well, I can't sing, I don't care. I will sing loud enough that I can't hear you if you're bothering me, okay? Jesus says that if we don't praise him, the very rocks will cry out. That is rock music I do not want to hear. I don't want to get in a situation where I refuse to worship God and the rocks have to start screaming. I don't know what this means for you. I don't know what you're supposed to do about it. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't have that task. That's not my job. Know whose job that is? That's the Holy Spirit's job. We've looked in the Word, we've seen the truth of what it says. We get a chance, if we want to, to live life. Upside down. The world won't understand it. They can't comprehend it. Oh, Dave, you sound like you're you're talking about a cult. You're talking about some sort of commune thing. You look like like a bunch of Jesus freaks. Yeah, doesn't that sound cool? (laughs) Wouldn't it be wonderful if people called me a Jesus freak? I mean, really? Wouldn't it be wonderful if people went? Oh, that bunch over there at East LJ. Baptist now, now what? Oh, they, they love each other. Oh, really? What do you mean? Well, you know, somebody's car broke down and somebody went over and bought them a new transmission. You're kidding? No. Nope. No. Nope. So and so fell and broke their leg and somebody came and cut their yard for a month. Really? How much did they charged? No, they did it for free. Are you kidding? No. Nah. Can you imagine what Gilmer County would be like if everybody in the county looked at East L.A.J. Baptist Church and went, man, that's a bunch of Jesus freaks. We're the ones that get to decide that. Music teams can come back and we're going to sing one last song. We know it. In Christ Alone. And that's what all this is all about. This isn't about me. This isn't about Chad. This isn't about anything other than Jesus. And it's in Christ alone that we have the power. You think these people did this on their own? No. What happened right before they did this? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It is in Christ alone that we have the power to turn the world upside down. I don't know how you need to respond today. You might need to come to the altar and pray. You might need to go to somebody in the congregation that you've been having a fight with for 20 years and get it fixed. You might need to go invite somebody to lunch. I don't know what you need to do, but the Holy Spirit does, and the Holy Spirit is telling you right now what you need to do. Maybe you need to go home this afternoon and get your calendar out and go, hmm, I've got to fix this. I don't know. But all I want you to do is listen to what God's Word says and respond to it the way that the Holy Spirit tells you to respond. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. And your Word is so incredible. And we thank you for the example of the church in Jerusalem and how they turned the world upside down by living life upside down. Father, we all come to you at different points in our life, with different needs. We're all sinful people. We all have short fallings. We all fail to do the things that you've told us to do. Lord, this morning we ask that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts, that you would change us, not just in our hearts but in our actions, so that next week we look different than we did this week. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing. And if there's some other way that you need to respond, don't be bashful. Respond the way that God tells you to respond.
1: Joe. Be seated. I believe the Spirit of God has descended on this place today. Thank you, brother. There's a lot of meat in your sermon. A great deal for us to chew on. The rest of the day today and the week to come. And I just ask that you each of you would search your hearts. Today is June 6th, 2021, 77 years ago on this day was D-Day. That's when the Allied forces amassed on the shores of Normandy and when the soldiers, sailors, Marines went ashore. And that was the turning point. Perhaps the greatest war of all time. But I want you to know that in the days prior, a chaplain went from ship to ship with cases of Gideon Bibles and armed those sailors, marines, soldiers with the Word of God. And God gave the victory. Many shed their blood, many gave their lives uh, that we might have the freedom that we enjoy today and I'm telling you this because our soldiers and sailors and Marines Air Force personnel still need the Word of God and it's being provided worldwide by the Gideons International and so I'm appealing to the men and their wives in the audience today here as well as through the internet. If, uh, if God is speaking to you today about becoming a member of the Gideons, I guarantee you, you would not regret joining the Gideons. Now we have some spiritual and occupational requirements and I'll be glad to talk to you about them after the church service today, but uh, if the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, please resist but uh, listen to what God has to say to you. Again, thank you very much for just a powerful, powerful message today. Let's go back and reread those verses again this afternoon. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your holy word, the manna of life, Lord God. We get to read and we recognize that we are privileged uh, beyond measure we have it in homes, we have it in our pockets, we have it uh, in these uh, leather-bound cases, but it doesn't do it unless we read it, unless we meditate on it, unless we apply it. So, Lord God, we rely on your spirit today, as always, to guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.